By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, I'm Olympian Lolo Jones, and I have a new podcast called Gold Medal Loser, presented by Discover Card. Everyone can relate to those loser moments in their life, especially when expectations are high. But here's the thing, not everyone overcomes hardships the same way. So I'll be talking to some of the most winningest people from all walks of life to learn their mentality behind their successes and failures. We'll be talking to athletes and celebrities to get their insight behind personal moments that represent the good, the bad, and the ugly. Plus, how they took these challenges and created a better version of themselves. So check this pod out because it's time to get real. Don't forget to subscribe to Gold Medal Loser on Apple, Spotify, and any preferred podcast platform. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. And as always, I'm joined by Adam from Adam Young Golf. This episode of The Sweet Spot is brought to you by our friends at the Indoor Golf Shop. They're the place to go online for setting up a simulator in your home or your business. They've got all the major brands of launch monitors like Foresight, SkyTrack, Unicor, and FlightScope. And they make enclosures, screens, hitting mats, pretty much anything you're going to need for your indoor studio. If you need help, you can give them a call directly, talk to their experts. You can ask for Gerald or Hunter. I know they've helped plenty of other Sweet Spot listeners and they can help you decide what's going to fit in your garage, media room, and basement based on your budget and technology requirements. So thanks for their support, and you can check them out at shopindoorgolf.com. So we're recording this episode in the winter. We'll see when this comes out, but we wanted to, we're talking about practice in different parts of the year today, right, Adam? That is correct. Yeah, different types of practice and how you structure your season. I think this is a question we often get 
from listeners of the show and readers of both of our sites where people are like, well, hey, well, how does my practice look different in season versus off season? And I thought I would, <laughs> anytime I say the word off season, especially on Twitter, immediately I get like five responses. It's like, what off season? And I'm like, hey, yeah, I know. So I, I have to give the caveat that I know we have people thankfully listening to this podcast from around the world. We've got people in places probably like Australia and South Africa and certainly Southern parts of the United States. And I'm sure the UK you can play throughout the year. So I know some people just don't have an off season. So I do want to acknowledge that. Yeah. I used to play all throughout the winter. I still considered it off season because even though there were tournaments going on like winter league, they weren't really big tournaments that you wanted to win. So, but yeah, we, we still used to play rain, snow even i remember playing a few times where the greens were so rock hard new year's day was a good competition everybody was hung over from the the night before and yeah the greens were always rock hard you couldn't land it on and, and keep it on at all but it's good fun all good learning so i think for this episode we're going to assume <laughs> that you do have an off season i think we'll maybe break it up into off season early season in season and then kind of the end of season those maybe four categories does that make sense to you adam yeah something similar like that i use off season in season and pre-tournament so that's the type of thing so pre-tournament would be if there's any really important tournaments that you want to peak for and off season could just be times where you know maybe your schedule is not as stressful and you want to progress a little bit more but perhaps that might be a little bit more disruptive to your game because anytime you're trying to make major changes that can push your long-term potential up but at the cost of short-term performance not always but in many cases it does sure and also i think another thing is that sometimes depending on your skill level and like if you are someone who's just not playing tournaments at all so like we'll try and give some generic as always we, we try and give advice that fits to everyone the best but of course everyone's situation is different so you know if you were like a beginner golfer versus an advanced tournament player you might have to pick and choose some of these guidelines we're going to give here's a question for you that i was thinking about you know there's certain things that i do no matter what like throughout, whether it's off season, in season, early season, whatever the time of year, there's certain things that I'm always just like kind of continually doing when I practice and that doesn't change, but I'll discuss like some alterations I would make throughout different times of the year. Like does anything pop out to you as something that would be a constant that you would recommend to people? I kind of do all phases of practice throughout the season because I, I don't really have an off season that much, but if I know that I'm playing a game of golf the next days and I'm training for that. I will change my practice specifically for that pre-game session, if that makes sense. Yep. I mean, for me, like I'm always, if I'm hitting it into the simulator, early spring out on the range or, you know, in the middle of the summer in the height of my tournament season, like some of the things that I'm always, I'm just always looking at ball flight and back to you know, a lot of the stuff we talk about the show is like, I'm always paying attention to the feedback and I'm always making my small adjustments to hopefully, you know, fix what I'm seeing in my ball flight or neutralize it a bit. That's just something I'm always paying attention to. Now I could alter the type of practice I'm focusing on by the time of year. And I guess we'll start to touch on that, but that's something I just, you know, I'm always paying attention to how am I striking the face, the ground, the, you know, the trajectory of my ball, the curvature of it. Like I'm just paying attention to that all year round. That was just something I was thinking about is like, that's just a constant for me is that I'm always paying attention to that and making my tweaks. 
I would say that's the same for me. I call that calibration practice, so where you're trying to do what you want to, and you're, there's a heavy focus on the big three impact factors. And so, yeah, I'm always doing that throughout the season as well. That kind of doesn't change for me. Yeah, so that would be my constant suggestion. And we have a lot of, ep- you know, just always a reminder is that our show is evergreen. You can go back through the catalog. We have, you know, the episodes on what feedback you should be looking for and different types of practice. So you can always go back through the library. So I think our plan is, is that our first episode ever was the off season slash winter practice episode. So we did go in depth there. So we'll kind of recap some of the things there. But I think our overall plan is to maybe do other episodes that are more in depth. And in this one, we're going to take maybe a quicker outline look at each of these times of year. I just want to confirm that's our plan, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. I could start with the five different types of training that I do to give you my beginning thoughts on it. And then we can kind of riff from there. Does that sound all right? Yeah, go for it. Set us off. So I've got five different types of training. They are technical training. So that's where you're working predominantly on the movement pattern and we could talk about why we'd want to do that in the future or during this episode as well there's experimental practice which we've already alluded to a lot throughout this series throughout the podcast so experimental practice is the differential practice and variability practice drills so trying to hit toe heel left right hitting the ground in different places so you're exploring the scale basically with experimental practice that could be one form of it Calibration is what we just talked about. So you're monitoring the big three. Uh, So there's a heavy focus on ground contact, face contact, face direction. And you're basically picking the weakest link of those and then trying to put more feedback and uh, doing more work directly on the one that's the weakest. Try and bring it up. The fourth type of training is, I call it performance testing. So it's like your own little scientific test uh, where you might do something like maybe hit 10 draws towards a target, then hit 10 fades, and then look at the data and see which one produced the best outcomes. And that's what you'd use on the course. And then the last type of training is transference training. So that is very game-like training. You are simulating the game of golf itself. So you might be doing things like changing clubs each time, changing targets, changing shot types, so drive, chips, putts, and doing full routines as well, if possible. So you're really simulating the game of golf itself, adding more context back in. So those are the five different types of training that I do. And I just weight them more heavily throughout the season. You know, off-season might be more weighted towards technical work, for example. Yeah, I think, do we want to start with the off-season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to go ahead with what you do in the off-season? Yeah, I think for me, and again, this doesn't apply to all golfers, but perhaps it's a general rule of thumb. I think, you know, if you are going to have some type of layoff where you're not on the course at all or you're playing sparingly and hopefully you have access to a practice facility, whether that's a driving range that, you know, heated stalls if it's the winter, or you can practice at home into a net. If I'm going to make a change in my golf game, then it's going to be in the off season. So I, you mentioned technical work. So yeah, let's say if I had a flaw in my swing, technically, that would be a time of year where like, yeah, I would, this is not me personally, but speaking generically to someone's like, I would pursue, you know, lessons, or making some big changes. Those are the times where you can work in that consequence-free environment. You don't have the context of the golf course. So for me, if I'm going to make a change, like for several winters, I was working predominantly on my driver, just 
getting the numbers more functional with my launch monitor, working on, you know, ball position, T height, working on hitting up on it more and reducing the curve. I do a lot of speed training and weightlifting in the off season. I don't do as much of that during the year. If I'm going to make an equipment change, like last winter, I was working on the long driver. This winter, I have a new five wood and hybrid I'm working with. So I'm trying to get used to those. So yeah, I view it as a time where you can kind of go outside the box a bit, do things differently, learn something new, make a change. That's how I view the off season. Yeah, the equipment changes are a great example of what to do in the off season as well. If you're going to pick up a new driver, it's probably or a new set of irons and get the lie angles changed or whatever. It's probably one of the worst times to do it at the start of the season or midway through the season because, you know, you're going to have to get used to those new things. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, there are exceptions to the rule. Obviously, if you hit your driver horribly, then changing it and having a good new one will affect it positively. But that's not. I think whatever we're talking about in terms of these rules of thumb, if there is ever like a red siren in your game, whether it's in the middle of the season, off season, whatever, like, yeah, that needs to be taken care of. And then you can kind of throw out all these rules of thumb. That was kind of like my caveats in the beginning is that you have to kind of look at your own game and make an adjustment based on what's going on. But yeah, if there's a big time driver problem, then like, yeah, that has to be addressed. Exactly. Or making any major technical changes to your swing. So Something that I did recently, I'm going back and forth between it, was picking my left foot up off the ground a little bit more, my left heel, let's just say, kind of like Nicholas did. Uh, And that actually stemmed initially from the hip injury that I had, which is now gone. But yeah, I mean, that required a lot of thought initially. In, In order to do it, if I didn't think about it, I would forget it. So I'd make a swing and my left foot would stay flat on the ground because that's what I've trained. So in order to ingrain it, I had to think about it consciously. The analogy I use is imagine you change your passcode on your phone. For the first couple of weeks, if you're not thinking about it consciously, you go and type it into your phone and you do the old code, right? You, you make the mistake and you're like, oh yeah, that's the old one. And then you have to think about it. But after a number of repetitions, the new code becomes the new dominant, we call it attractor state in motor learning. It becomes the new ingrained thing is the, the phrase that people will understand better. So yeah, it requires a lot of reps. If you are making a change, it's very common that we tend to flit in and out or bounce between the old movement and the new movement. So you don't really want that kind of thing happening mid-season, right? If you're making a change, a big change mid-season, and you're on the golf course and you're bouncing back and forth between two different motor patterns, that can be really disruptive to your game. So that's where you'd use the off-season to get the reps in, ingrain it more at a time that is not disruptive to your your golf game because you're playing less. And then the hope is by the time you reach the new season, that new movement will be ingrained and you don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah, I mean, certainly you can go back to our episodes on swing changes. We kind of talked about what was a reasonable timeline. I think you and I both agreed on like that two to three month period. So yeah, if you started in December, January, you could potentially have more comfort with that new move by the time you get in the spring. And also our episode with Shaheen Nakjavani, where we talked about what to expect from swing lessons. Shaheen had a lot of thoughts on that too, that were similar to what we're talking about now. So I would definitely take a look at those or give a listen to those two episodes. I'm actually working on a small technical change or maybe an experiment. I don't know if it's a big one, but you know, I have this new hybrid and five wood. And for me, I'm always fighting the battle of getting enough loft and spin on the ball with longer clubs. So 
I hit my driver pretty well the last few years, and I want to start to take advantage of that on par five approach shots. So Woody Lash and our equipment expert had built me this new, you can call it a four slash five wood. We're adding a lot of loft to it, but I'm still struggling to get it up in the air. So I'm actually, I don't know, maybe I'll get your thoughts on this. I'm experimenting with a more neutral grip with the hybrid and the fairway wood and just kind of looking at the numbers I'm getting on the launch monitor, and it is working a bit. I'm getting a little bit more height on it, but is it something I want to introduce to my game on the course? Do I really want to be hitting, you know, a couple of shots with a different grip, which is my normal grip is very strong. Um, So that's something I'm tinkering with right now because there's no consequence to doing it. Yeah, exactly. It's like when I give you that little two-swing experiment probably a year ago now where I said just give... Uh, With the weak grip, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, give me a weak grip and trying to swing more left and see what happens. And it produced a, a better looking swing. The ball flight was higher and had more spin to it as well. But you lost some distance with it. So there's kind of a trade off there. And, you know, I said that that is not necessarily better for you. The only advantage there is you'll get more separation between clubs. So you'll hit your wedges shorter but you might be able to get some of the longer clubs up in the air more and staying in the air longer. It would give you more benefit when you get to like the three wood and the hybrids and you know hitting those long shots into the greens. But yeah, you have to decide whether this is something you want as well, whether it's going to have much of a benefit to your game. Yeah, it's always like everything we always discuss. There's always a trade-off with every decision you make. Am I looking, you know, what am I looking to gain? I'm looking to be able to hit those longer approach shots into par fives to take advantage of my drives because those are really the holes if I'm going to make a birdie especially in a tournament it's going to be on a par five that's where birdies usually occur with any you know better player and right now I don't really have that shot I kind of have this like low (laughs) low missile coming into the green so I'm saying is like can I work on this and test with it in my consequence free environment add a little bit more loft and spin with this different grip and see what happens. And then, you know, I think we'll get into maybe early season, preseason, like experiment with it a little bit more and see how it works on the course. So yeah, I I just overall, I view off season as a time to take a look at your game, see what are the big problems and can you find a way perhaps with the help of a swing professional and equipment change, maybe working on a lot of the stuff that we talk about during practice can you make that big change or it could be for your body, like fitness or, or speed training? You know, I focus a lot on my weight training and speed training in the off season. So yeah, it's a time to kind of go outside the box and do something different and experiment. Yeah. I think the last big change I made was to my angle of attack. So I went from hitting probably about five degrees down to at the time I went all the way to 10 degrees up. I've settled somewhere in between now, but I did that at a time where I wasn't caring about the results because initially what would happen is I'd hit more up on it and maybe one or two out of 10 shots would be so much better than before. But the other eight were quite wild. So, and and I understand this process because I've been through it so much that it just takes a matter of repetitions. After maybe a week, I got it up to three or four out of 10 were better and only six were wild. And then after a month or so, it was about 50-50. And then after three months, it was back to eight out of 10 were better. And so the movement was much more ingrained by that point. But, you know, I wouldn't want to make that angle of attack change right in the middle of a season and cause that disruption to my driving in mid-season, even if it offers more potential benefits. No, definitely not. So do we want to move on 
maybe to like early season, like as you're transitioning to getting back on the golf course? Well, in the off season as well, yeah, I just wanted to mention with just with the experimental practice, I think I tend to do experimental practice. And by that, I mean the differential practice drills, left, right, toe, heel, ground contact in different place or exploring the scale. I tend to do that throughout the season, but that's because I'm well practiced at it. And you are as well, you know, different shot shapes and things like that. Yeah, that's what I view as my, I mean, words in golf can be so confusing but when you say like calibration and differential experimental like i kind of like do all of them at once so like let's say it's july and i'm struggling with my hook then i'm going to like you know experiment with the slice to try and neutralize that and like yeah that's doing the opposite of what i want on the course but it's like getting me back into you know the functional territory i'm always looking for so yeah that to me is like my bread and butter practice all throughout the years is like looking at that ball flight and, and really doing the opposite of my fault to get it back in line yeah and i think if you are well practiced at it if it's not the first time you've done it then you can do it throughout the season it's beneficial but yes say you take a guy who's never who's only ever done blocked practice right just hit the same shot over and over again yeah you don't want them hitting off the end of the club (laughs) yeah getting them to try and hit different parts of the face or intentionally hit right and left initially it opens up a little bit more inconsistency because you're, you're trying new motor programs that you've never done but after After a while, your brain and body get used to it and you learn to control it. You learn to control the amounts and that's when the benefits come through. And so that might take a few months. So off season is a great time. If you've never done experimental practice, it's a great time to really dive head on into it. And you can do some more extreme versions of it as well. Like I had a guy the other day trying to get his path 10 left and 10 right. You know, something I'd never do with that player if they were about to play a tournament next week never do that at all it'd be horrible but in this session it's like yeah it's just building feels for them that when they go to later part of the season where we're trying to calibrate it they now have the feels that will help them do that i think that's an excellent point for the you know beginner to intermediate player is like yeah go wild go crazy in the off season do some wild i mean when you say that stuff i'm thinking back to what i used to do as a kid when i was at the practice range or at my in my backyard in my house like i used to just do insane things because it was just fun to me i was just trying to figure things out so like and i was you know learning how to play golf at that time so it was just like kid play stuff but as an adult yeah i think it would make more sense if you've never done that type of practice to do it in the more consequence free environment of the off season i think that's an excellent point And then as we move to in-season, what do we do, John? What do you do? Yeah, so I think if you are in the climate, like me, like I live in New York, like some winters I can get on the golf course. Like this winter, you know, we're recording this in January. We're about to get a 14-inch snowstorm in a couple of days. So New York can go either way. So, you know, typically I'm not on a golf course consistently between perhaps like the middle of November or December through March perhaps April sometimes. So what I like to do is, you know, if you are in the situation where you're getting back on the golf course after a long layoff, whatever reason that may be is, I look more at on-course practice, 
getting on the course more. I focus more on my short game. I'm trying to establish like my wedge feel again. You know, working on the simulator is great, but I want to be on the course experiencing different lies with my wedges. I want to get my speed control with my putter. I want to be out there feeling the golf course. I want to be feeling the wind, the uneven lies, all of it. So I try and if the course is available to play on as early as March, you know, I'm out there with a few balls just kind of messing around by myself if it's empty. So I'm more in like, you know, getting that calibration of the short game back, my alignment, you know, feeling the wind, distance, elevation changes, side hill lies, downhill lies. I'm trying to just get my senses back. I'm trying to calibrate myself, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's something that I focus on more in the in maybe that first few weeks. Yep, same thing here. Just stabilizing everything, really. I kind of taper off the technical practice a little bit if I am doing anything. So now you start to play on the course a little bit. You might still do it a little bit. You know, if you're making that big swing change, you you might still do some sessions, but you're not going to dedicate as much time towards it because now it's time to kind of perform instead of change around all the time. I think that's one of the mistakes lots of players make is that they continue to constantly make changes throughout the season and they just they never play to their optimal performance because they're constantly learning something new all the time instead of making the best of what they've got. Yeah, I think in relation to talking about, you know, let's say you did make a technical change over the off season, now as I get onto the golf course, I'm testing it. So, I'm adding the context of being on the course that little bit of extra pressure, even if it is a practice kind of situation. Like, for example, like I'm trying out this hybrid and fairway wood, and maybe I'm going to experiment with this neutral slash weaker grip. And let's say I like the results on the launch monitor. Now I want to see how it works on the fairway with the side hill lie, with the hook lie, into the wind, downwind. I want to start seeing how it's holding up to the environment of the golf course. Thinking back to the prior winter when I was working on my driver with the longer shaft, I saw some good results on the launch monitor and I wanted to see the results on the golf course. So yeah, I think you want to, if you are committed to that change, now it's time to add more layers and pressure to it and see how it holds up to the context of the golf course with not as much pressure as a real round. But as Adam says, if you're constantly like making a ton of different changes, then you don't have a chance to see anything through or how it works out. So there can be an extreme to that, which I would warn against. Yeah, and I mean, once you get, you know, the technical training is changing your patterns, the stuff in the off-season. So you would notice a big change if you were to video your swing. You'd see a visible difference. Whereas when we get into the mid-season, we want to stop those big changes that are noticeable on camera and focus more on the little things that matter. So calibrating the big three. So for example, you know, you could make two swings that look identical on camera, Um, Yet one of them hits it an inch fat and the other one hits it ball and turf and they're completely different outcomes or one hits more toe, one hits more heel. I've got a a blog post that's reasonably popular that I have where a player is hitting one out of the heel and one out of the toe and the swings look basically identical. I mean, they are pretty much there from frame to frame. I go through it. The shaft is in the same position. There's very little difference until down at the last last moment. So the overall pattern is the same. But those little things that impact are different. And the result as a result is wildly different as well. We see that on the PGA Tour every week. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, look at your favorite player when they've just snap hooked one thirty yards left. It happens versus when they pipe one down the middle, and you'll be very hard pushed to see a visible difference on camera. Obviously, there is a difference there, but we know from launch monitors the difference might be one degree of the face being more closed at impact, which is. You're not going to see that, <laughs> really. You're not going to see it. No, I mean, maybe like, what did their trail forearm like rotate a little bit more? Like, you wouldn't see it. Yeah, I'm just saying you wouldn't be able to see that. I'm just saying if that's what happened, like I always think like my face control is predominantly what's going on with my trail, like hand slash forearm rotation and like that's so hard to see how could you see that exactly so most of the swing changes that you're going to be doing in season are this calibration process of the big three which as we've said is not going to result in huge visible changes in the swing but they're going to result in very noticeable outcome changes which is important as well so this is a point where you say i don't want to say swing your swing because there's a lot of negative connotations to that but yeah, what swing you have, the, the overall motion pattern, the gross motor pattern that you have right now, you shouldn't be making huge changes with that. Just make the small tweaks to ground contact, face direction, face strike. They're going to have huge outcome improvements for you. Yeah, I agree with that. It's like once you, you know, I would use that early season as a way to get more comfortable back on the golf course and just getting like connected to it. So maybe don't even, I don't even keep score the first few times I'm out there. I'm, I'm just maybe tying up the early season work is like, I'm just trying to get out there and kind of get my reps and, and my feels, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, as you transition to being in your in-season golf, to your point is like, you kind of got what you got, <laughs> you know, you can call it swing your swing. It like, that's what you have. Unless again, something was like terribly wrong. Like if you're in this, you know, red alert situation where your swing has fallen apart, then like, yeah, maybe it's time to get some help in that situation. But, you know, let's say you're a fairly experienced golfer getting back into the season. Yeah. I don't think as you transition to the, the heart of the golf season, you should have your heart set on any major swing changes just because I just think you're going to be introducing so many different variables that it'd be more trouble than it's worth. So that's why when I'm in season, as Adam's saying, is like if I'm at the range and I'm not really a range rat, but let's say I'm going to the range at my course a few times in the spring or, or in the summer working on my game outside of playing, I'm looking at my ball flight. Is my hook getting out of control? Am I de-lofting it too much? If that's the issue, well then, yeah, I've got to figure out how to make that tweak in my swing path. Am I starting the ball too far right, too far left? Well, then it's a face angle issue. And for me, the cue on that is, I mentioned this earlier, I think a lot about what my trail forearm slash hand is doing in my, especially through the impact zone. That's my cue for face control. I don't know if that's your cue, Adam, but that's kind of what I've figured out over the years. So if I need to close the face a little bit. I feel like I'm rotating that forearm that way. And if I need to open a bit, I'm rotating it the other way. Like that's just my cue and that's my fix for it. So yeah, those are like the little adjustments, calibrations, looks at feedback I'm making in season. Another thing that I like to do in season is that I'm also looking for patterns during my rounds. You know, it's one thing to have a bad driving day or a bad iron day or, or bad, you know, poor day with speed control on the greens. Like, that's okay. That's just golf. That's going to happen. But let's say I've played three or four rounds in a row where I'm noticing that I'm 
pulling my driver off the tee, or maybe I'm chunking my wedge shots around the green. I'm looking for patterns in my round, something that kind of says like, hey, something's not right here. Something You're uncomfortable with something. Then I will prioritize that in my practice sessions. So let's say it was my wedges and I've got really poor ground interaction. I'm chunking it. I'm thinning it, which is a problem for me sometimes. I'm not going to even hit balls at the range. I'm going to go to a short game facility and I'm going to spend 30, 45 minutes there just kind of reestablishing you know, maybe the low point of the club, just trying to get some type of feel where I'm saying like, okay, I think I've got this back in good territory. I'm going to be more comfortable with this next time on the course. So that's another thing that I look for in season is that I'm always evaluating my rounds and thinking about, is there a pattern, like a sore thumb sticking out that needs to be addressed? And then I do address it during my practice sessions. Exactly. You change the data that you gather. So in, in off-season, when you're working on technical stuff, the data you're gathering is, is my movement changing? Because that's the goal during that point. But as you said, when you get to in-season, the data gathering shifts more to the outcome and what caused it. So again, monitoring the big three, right? You're hitting shots on the course. Almost every bad shot you hit technically will fall into one of three categories. Either you missed the ground, you didn't hit it in the right place, uh, you know, too far behind or missed it completely. You didn't hit the center of the face. So maybe it lands short, you've hit toe or heel. Or you've struck it perfectly, but you've closed the face or opened the face and you've missed directionally. So those are going to be the categories that you, you have on the golf course as faults. And then you basically pick one of those for your practice. Say in your example, you said fat contact. So you go to the range then or you get a divot board out and you practice calibrating that. You do some maybe some blocked practice at this time. I'm fine with block practice. But you're repeating over and over until you can hit that yellow spot, hit your spot on the ground over and over. Once you can do it reasonably, then you might be, do it a little bit more randomly, change clubs and step out of the shot as you're doing it. But it's really just isolating your weakness that you've found from your data and then focus on improving that one directly. Yeah, to your point on the block versus the random, I think that's very close to what I do. So let's say I was chunking my wedges. I'm going to maybe drop a bunch of balls 10, 15 yards away from the green with my sand wedge or lob wedge, maybe get myself a nice tight lie, a very uncomfortable lie. And I'm just going to start hitting shots and paying attention to what happens. And if I am chunking it, while I am repetitiously hitting the same target over and over again, now I'm thinking about like, all right, do I need to change my weight shift, my shaft leans, or just think about, you know, bottoming out the club in front of the ball. So yeah, I'm hitting the same shot over and over again. And, and I guess the block format, again, maybe we're going to get caught up in words here. But once I feel like I've got that feel through the repetition, then I'm going to start throwing, you know, one ball over here, one ball over there and kind of approaching different distances and testing myself. So I try and start with the repetitive part of it and pay attention to the feedback, make my adjustments, hopefully figure out a solution, a feel, and then, especially with wedges, test myself with various distances. Yeah, I usually use success rate at the task to determine whether I stick with block practice or move to random. So if you're doing something and you're getting an 8 out of 10 success rate, it's now no longer challenging, and so you need to move it to something more difficult. That could either be making the task more difficult. So if you're working on ground contact with chipping, once you've got the ground contact good and it's 8 out of 10 success rate, by all means, move to random practice, you know, hitting shots from different places, having to move around. 
Now you got to solve the problem more. Yeah, yeah. Or make the task more difficult, right? Put yourself on a, a tight lie. And if your success rate drops down to, say, 3 out of 10 from the tight lie, you can stick with block practice for that. I don't actually know which one is the better option because even if you... Say you pick the difficult task that you're getting 3 out of 10, it may still be better to do it more randomly from there. But that would drop your success rate down further. I think the only real detriment to doing that is you might lose confidence and get a little frustrated because the success rate drops down too much. So I tend to use block practice more, not because it's an optimal learning strategy, but because it helps balance that frustration and confidence that you might need in early stages. But I don't know. I mean, most things even show that random practice is even better when a task is quite difficult, or at least some of the stuff that I've seen. It's a little bit mixed from what I've seen, really. Let's take a quick break there, and we will be right back. What's up, Sweet Spot listeners? We have a special offer for you from America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. HelloFresh offers 50 weekly recipes, featuring a range of flavors, cuisines, and ingredients so you'll never get bored. You can try something new every week. The recipes are easy to follow and quick to make, with steps and pictures to guide you along the way. My wife and I recently cooked a few of their meals and we were extremely impressed. We had a delicious pork loin with a honey sauce and I have to say it tasted just as good as from a top restaurant. And we've got a special offer for Sweet Spot listeners. Go to hellofresh.com sweet16 and use coupon code sweet16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Once again, that's hellofresh.com sweet16 and use code SWEET16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Linkswear. They just released their new Lux G Shoes, which is their first big release of 2024, and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Linkswear is known for with their Wonderlux midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a two-year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Linkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot, an antimicrobial comfort insole, and the Lux G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off the Lux G shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code SWEETSPOT. Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT, that's one word, to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I mean, yeah, to your point on the great blocked versus random debate, which (laughs) most people who are listening to this have no idea what we're talking about. I don't know which one's better either. I just know that I use both of them. And I think you and I agree that like engagement and problem solving, like that mentality is going to give you a better chance at performing better on the golf course, whether that's blocked, repetitive or random. But to your point, and what I believe also for a lot of golfers is that if you give people that random situation, it kind of forces, not always, but it it kind of gives a better chance of that engagement and problem solving to occur. I think I look at tour players when they practice. And again, this is at the end result of their skill acquisition. We're not looking at tour players when they were 10 years old. But even like, you know, sometimes I'll turn on the golf channel and I'm watching a tour player hit balls. I see him hit a shot. They're looking at what happens. They take a step back. They got their track, man. They go look at the numbers. I see these guys. They're they're looking for 30 seconds. They go back to the shot. They set up. They go through a routine. They hit. And they repeat it all over again. Now, technically, is that block practice? Absolutely. I guess that would fit the definition. But they're very engaged. Like, they're thinking about what's going on. There's a lot of discipline there. And I think recreational golfers don't have that discipline. And perhaps giving them a more random format, maybe a performance game, gets them into that mode more often. Well, the thing there, I call it broken practice. It's not quite blocked. It's blocked because you're doing the same skill over and over again, but it's not ball, 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 you know, machine gunning it. So there's something called active forgetting in the mode of learning science. And it's that step away that they take away from the golf ball where they go and look at their numbers for 30 seconds. That makes them lose the feeling of the movement, which is a good thing. You think, well, why do you want to lose the feeling? Yeah, you want it to like disappear. Yeah. But yeah, a huge part of golf is trying to regather that feeling again and going through that preparatory process in order to access that motor pattern. If you stand there and you beat ball after ball, you're just repeating the same motion. You've locked onto the feel already. Whereas when you forget it through a time delay or through changing clubs, changing targets, which is random practice. So whichever method you want to choose for active forgetting, that will help when it comes to the skill of re-accessing a movement that you already own, if that makes sense. I've heard someone told me a, a story about Tiger a couple of weeks ago where it was like at the height of his dominance, it was almost like painful to watch him practice. Like he would hit a couple of balls in 20 minutes sometimes because he would step away and just like, you know, evaluate like not all the time, but it would just like drive some people who worked around him crazy because he'd be like there for a half hour and hit like three balls. Just like the level of, and I'm not suggesting other people do this, but like the level of intensity and focus that he put on each shot and gave it that much attention and stepped away from it for that long, 
it was a whole new problem to solve versus listen, I know how it feels when you're building up that false confidence on the range, hitting the seven iron over and over and over again with two seconds in between. And you're like, wow, I'm striping it. Yeah, that's what you're capable of. But, you know, as you suggested, like if you had given that same person say, okay, now you've got to take two minutes in between each shot and walk away from the ball, take a two minute walk and come back. No way they're going to be striping it over and over again. I kind of see this in table tennis at the moment. You know, if sometimes you get into a rhythm and you're playing really well and then the person on the other side, for whatever reason, has to leave for a second or they have to put their controllers down and then they get back into the game. And for me, that little break is so annoying because I completely lose the feel of my shots. I completely lose the prediction of what they're doing. And so I then have to re-access that predictive um, you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Just that break hurts me. I love that you've managed to get VR ping pong into this episode. We're like every single episode. <laughs> we're going to get them in every episode now. But yeah, I, I just view that as a sports thing. You know, when I growing up, I was really into basketball and I like kind of focused on shooting as my skill. And yeah, you develop a rhythm. And if you're playing in a game, if you're not getting the ball enough, you know, good shooters love to be ball hogs because they want to shoot over and over and over again to get in that flow. But if they don't get the ball for three or four minutes and like, yeah, it's harder to feel the stroke. So I have lived through that through every sport I've played. And like, yeah, I've <laughs> to your point on the virtual ping pong, I hate when the guy takes off his little mask and he's getting a phone call or something. I'm waiting there. I'm like, let's go, man. I want to play. I'm in the zone here. <laughs> All right. So we talked about when now we're firmly in season. Do we want to talk about like when you've got a big match or a tournament, stuff like that? Because I know a lot of people have certain events throughout the year. Maybe it's a member guest. Maybe it's a really big Nassau match or someone like me. Maybe you're playing some more competitive amateur events. Do we want to talk about that? Yeah. So now pre-tournament, if you're a top professional, this might be a whole week or two or even a month before perhaps a major if you were trying to peak for a certain thing. But for the amateur who's just, you know, sporadically practicing, this might just be, you know, the day before a tournament that you're trying to peak for. So we want to get into a certain mindset. It's too late to ingrain a new motion now. So unless you're on the edge of giving up with your golf game, you know, you hit it, you've got the shanks, I would suggest not doing anything drastically technically wise so you're going to stick more to the simple stuff like just trying to find the center of the face trying to find the ground in the right place controlling the club face i know i've mentioned this a million times well so i mean we're going to keep mentioning because it's like it's literally everything <laughs> the fundamentals of golf the true fundamentals we will not stop drilling this into your heads so you'd now shift more towards the two types of training performance testing and transference training so performance testing, this is where you're going to test things such as maybe certain swing thoughts or feels that you have at the moment that are working okay for you or have been shown to work well for you in the past. So something, for example, I might do is I'll set my launch monitor up. And you can do this without a launch monitor, but it does help having the data gathered. I'll hit 10 shots thinking of fading the ball towards the target. So I'll just introduce my fade feels. Then I'll hit another 10 shots thinking only of ground contact. 
and then I'll hit another 10 shots focusing on perhaps the timing of my routine. So walking in and hitting it quite quickly. So basically it's called a neutral focus. I'm not thinking anything about the swing or the outcome. It's all more process focused. Now at the end of those 30 balls, I can have a look at the data and I can say, well, that's interesting. When I'm thinking of ground contact, my results are better. There's a tighter dispersion there. And so then I would pick that one and that's what I'm going to be using in my tournament. It's not a great long-term strategy to do this because it might not it might force you to not work on things that are going to give you benefits long term like a technical change but it at least shows you in the moment what am i performing with best now and this philosophy came from you know i had a few players when i was instructing early on and they would say to me well i think i perform better when i think of this say for example when i turn my shoulders 90 degrees i hit it better And I would say, well, I think you hit it better when you're focusing on ground contact. And instead of arguing over it, I'd say, let's just test it. You hit 10 shots for me and do your best to focus on your shoulder turn or whatever it was. And then do another 10 shots and we're going to focus solely on ground contact. And then at the end of that, I could show them, well, hey, I'm right here. This is the data to prove it. Or in some cases, I'd say, well, you know what? I was wrong. You were right. Focusing on your shoulder turn is producing better results for you. Great. Go out and play with that because it's, it's pr- you're proving it now with these little scientific tests. I think in the context of you know competitive tournament play, I agree with you. Is in the time leading up to whatever the event is for you, and again, this is very relative for every level of golfer. You know, someone having a big match at their course or their club championship. You know, the pressure leading up to that can be very similar to someone like myself who's maybe trying to get into like the U.S. Mid-Am or playing bigger local tournaments or someone who's trying to make it on a pro tour. Like it's all relative to pressure. And I think that leading up to these events, you do kind of got what you got. So don't try and work on your swing or make any changes. Like that's just, you're introducing a variable that I do not think is going to hold up under pressure. I think what a lot of good tournament players are always looking for is kind of what you're describing. They're looking for something like something they can hang on to, like a life raft. Maybe that's a good word for it, whether it's a feel, a focus, because when you do tee it up in a pressure environment, things can change very quickly. And you always want to have a singular or very simple focus on something that you can get back to. So yeah, like that's you know, thinking about striking the ground. I've heard Rory McIlroy say stuff like that. He's like, yeah, I just trying to strike the ground in front of the ball of my irons when I'm playing in tournaments. So yeah, you're trying to have your own, you're trying to find something very simple that you can cling on to if the waters get rough out there is what I'm trying to say is that I don't think like, you know, working on your swing, videoing your swing and maybe getting a lesson three days before, like, I'm not a fan of that. I'm more of maybe I'll work a little bit more on my short game, distance control, that type of feel but I'm not going to be making any big swing things. Um, I think what you're describing, the performance stuff, I probably should do more of that. I think that makes a lot of sense. But you're trying to search for something simple that you can hold on to. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, here's the simplest version of that is trying to hit a fade or a draw on the target. They don't exactly have to come out how you want to, but it's more the intention. When you intend to fade it versus intend to draw it, 
what is the outcome? Which one is better? And for me, that kind of changes from week to week. One week, I'll be having it where my fade feel produces tighter outcomes. The next week, thinking of hitting it straighter or even more of a draw pattern produces tighter outcomes. So this is why it's not a good long-term strategy is because it's kind of, I don't want to say placebo. It is showing you what's working at the moment, but it can change. It's more of what mental strategy are you going to have on the course? So you don't want to turn up on the first tee and go into the shot and go, right, what am I going to focus on for this shot? You don't want that scenario. Like I know when I go out on a golf course, right, with driver, I'm focusing on face strike. With irons, I'm focusing on ground strike. And with putting, I'm focusing on breathing. I'll have a very definite plan for those things. And that will be defined based on what my performance testing showed me. But yeah, in terms of why it might not be a good long-term strategy, I know lots of people are thinking this, are thinking, well, why don't I just do that all the time? Why don't I just do this performance testing all the time? Because golf is always changing on you. Well, yeah, it is. But you could do a new test each time before you go out, and you'd have at least a strategy that would probably be a 90% chance that it's going to hold up throughout the round. You do need like plan A and plan B as well because patterns change. But generally, most people's patterns that they have on the day they stay pretty constant throughout the day but why it's not a good long-term strategy sorry why it's not a good long-term strategy is because say a new technique or technical change for you is going to have great long-term benefits right so you're changing your angle attack you're hitting up on it more well that might not perform well initially but in the future, once you've put 3,000, 10,000 reps in, that might be the best performing thing. So if you're always going on what performs well now, you might never push your boundaries forwards. You might never raise the bar for yourself. Whereas at the other end of the scale, if you're always trying to raise the bar, you might never perform well with what you've got at this time. This is why it's important to structure these different phases of training or types of training throughout different parts of the season. Yeah, I'll give you maybe a couple of examples of, I think, what you're talking about. Like, so f last tournament season, like 2020 was not a great tournament season for me. 2021 was my best ever. And I found a couple of random things. One of them was one of my cues, I drove the ball great. And one of my cues was, is that I would set up with my trail, my right foot a little bit closed, a little bit behind me. And that just that cue, for whatever reason, I found that somewhere in the tournament season, and it just gave me like a really, you know, I think I was maybe fighting a little bit of a right shot, so I was trying to get a little bit more draw on the ball, and that focus, you know, was part of my pre-shot routine for a lot of tournaments, and it helped me through a lot of those, you know, tee shots where I was just like, all right, I got to hit a good one here, and that was my focus, and it worked for a while. Is it going to work forever? No. Another one I found during the season was during my putting routine particularly when I was reading the putt and, you know, going through my rehearsal and, and focusing on the speed, I was pretty much playing the same song in my head all summer long. It just got me into this trance where it helped my breathing, it calmed me down, and it just, it worked. Is that same song going to work in the summer of 2022? Probably not. It's just something I figured out and I clinged on to for a while, and it helped me when I had some really, you know, pressure-packed moments. And again, those are relative to every golfer. Every golfer feels that pressure no matter what level of the game they're at. So yeah, they are kind of short-term solutions, but you figure them out through these kind of in-season practice sessions and paying attention to what's going on during your rounds. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, definitely. I would say as well, work towards what you want to happen in long term. But at some point, we have to play with what's performing best in the moment. So an example might be the slicer, right? They slice everything 30, 40 yards to the right. Well, that player, they might be able to straighten that out. You know, they might know technically, well, if I swing more from the inside and I get this feeling of closing the face, I can straighten out my overall pattern. But when they test it, they might find that they actually produce a tighter, more consistent pattern with the old fade. So that player is going to have to kind of separate these things. When they're working towards raising the bar for themselves and improving their long term, they're going to work more on the draw shot. But when it comes to playing on the course, they might have to go towards that fade. If it's a big tournament and they want to play their best golf... They might have to play with that fade on the day. And so this performance testing will highlight what's working best for you. As I said, it might not be the thing you stick with long term, but it might be the thing that you stick with for the next round. Yeah, I just I think golf in general, even in non-tournament situations, is like we're all searching for a little something we can hold on to. And I don't think you can find it unless you do this type of practice experimentation. You know, you have different methods of finding it. And I think a lot of golfers kind of figure this out on their own terms. But if you start introducing this stuff, I think you could perhaps find those things in your game and hopefully they last for months. Sometimes they do or forever. You know, I think we all intuitively do these things, right? We're always searching. Yeah. I mean, listen, all golfers are searching. Yeah. Everyone's searching every week at the range. That's why, you know, that's why there's (laughs) hundreds of millions of hits on YouTube for golf channels. Everyone's looking. Just what are you finding? Well, I think the difference there is really gathering good data, either launch monitor data or, you know, at least getting some kind of distance and some kind of directional quality whether it's picking two markers on the range you got the 150 marker and the 200 marker and you're trying to hit between those two directionally and you can do a 10 ball test and see which one you hit more often with what swing thought so at least you're gathering more quantitative data instead of just subjective feel yeah the cornerstones that we're really talking about are engagement and feedback are you engaged in what you're doing And are you paying attention to the feedback? Those are two super important things. And I think those connect like everything we discuss about practice is is you can't find these things unless you're not properly engaged and paying attention to what's going on. And yeah, like if you have the launch monitor feedback or a nice performance game, you start gathering better data on this. Do we have anything else we want to talk about on the in-season stuff? Yeah, in the pre-tournament stuff and in season as well, you're going to start to introduce more transference training. So that is the simulation stuff. Now, in the ideal scenario, you'd either get on the golf course and play more, but you might pick specific games as well. So say, for example, if you tend to miss a lot of shots to the left, then you might play a game where anything on the left is out of bounds. Anything left edge of the fairway or more is out of bounds. And so that starts to train different things in your perception. Or if you find a player who lands short all the time you know, in their stats because they're picking the wrong club, I might play a game with them where I say, right, we're going to play almost a normal round of golf. But if you're 150 yards and in, if you land short, we're going to re-hit it and you take a two-shot penalty. And so that really it just trains a different mindset. So you can play a different game that challenges a certain part of your game more. Or if you're on the range, 
you can do these type of things as well. I'll often play, if a player has a left bias miss, then I'll play a game with them where I'll say, right, you've got to go between these two targets. So we'll say it's a 20 yard wide target. You're going to get a point every time you hit that target. There's nothing for missing right. You don't lose anything. You don't gain anything. But if you miss left, I'm going to take three points off you. And the goal is you've got to stand there until you can rack up 10 points. And for someone that might take 10 shots or it might take 100 shots. But there's that pressure. They're not just hitting balls out into a range. It's forcing them to think more like real golf. That is basically simulating water being on the left. And so that player has to then use their strategy. They have to use that kind of internal gamble of well, how close to this left side do I go? I don't want to miss it on the right, but I certainly don't want to miss it on the left. So all these different games you can play that uh, challenge certain skills, either on the range or on the course. Yeah, those are all great ideas. You know, my ideal, if I have the time, my ideal practice session would be hitting some balls on the range and then going out to play three or four holes. I think on-course practice is one of my favorites just because you have the context of the golf course. It's just so much more important. And yeah, there's stuff you can do out there. I mean, but I think a game that Tiger always probably the hardest game is where you play worst ball. <laughs> You're hitting two balls and you have to play your worst ball each time. And Tiger always says, if I can shoot my 67, 68 worst ball, then I'm ready to play on tour. You know, when he was getting back, I mean, that of course is an extreme example, but yeah, if you have the ability to get on the golf course and maybe you hit a few shots here or there, certainly you don't want to hold people up. Maybe that's early morning or late afternoon. All depends on on the course you have access to and how often it's being played. But yeah, I love to, if I could spend 45 minutes on the golf course, for me, I feel that that's way more valuable than me beating a bunch of balls on the range. And that, you know, it's perhaps the stage I'm in in my game and that might be different for other golfers, but perhaps we should do a whole episode on on-course practice. I just love doing it. Well, the disadvantage with on-course is it's expensive. There are people on there, especially in Vegas. I mean, you don't have a couple of seconds to think about anything. But there's also a lot, you're only going to get a certain amount of reps on the golf course. And now it's almost a, a case of a battle between the reps, the rep amount, and the quality of the rep. Obviously on the course, the quality is just perfect because it's everything simulated there, but you're not getting as many reps. Whereas, you know, we've got a nice little blend here because we've got our simulators and we can play on the course on our simulators. So we can get a, a huge number of reps in. We can get four times the rounds in in four hours easily. I mean, I can play around in like 30 minutes or so. And you're getting the same kind of context. There's the same pressure to a certain extent, especially when you're playing in the leagues that we play. And there's it's still the context of you've got trees there, water there. You're trying not to miss in certain places. You're having to do a full routine. You're having to change clubs all the time. So if you don't have the advantage of a simulator like we do, you can do a lot on the range to simulate the game itself. You can pick a target, you know, between two markers on the range and change clubs each time or hit a driver down that if you're successful, hit a seven iron down it. If you're successful, hit a wedge down it and count that as a point. Anytime you fail, start again. And so that really kind of builds pressure as you're going along. If you can play with a buddy as well, if you can get a practice partner with you and, you know, you stay in the bay, kind of like in pool, right? You stay on if you're a winner will stay in the bay until you miss a shot and then the next person goes in. So that simulates the pressure. Well, now you can go to Top Golf for that. Yeah, oh well, yeah, Top Golf. These all these ideas are great, yeah. 
No, yeah, I think there's no perfect scenario. Not everyone has a simulator. Not everyone can get on a golf course and practice. So, yeah, I think your best opportunity for most people listening to this would be the performance games on the driving range. Because, again, anything you could do to build the pressure and engagement and attention to each shot, because it has consequences if you're actually competing against yourself or someone else. Yeah, I think, as we said before, the block random thing is like you're just trying to increase the odds that that range performance will transfer over to the golf course. And I'm 100% bought in that performance games can do that. And they're one of the biggest solutions for the widest range of golfers just because most people have access to a driving range and can do that. And one of the best scenarios I've had is when I used to do my group coaching. So I, for a, a couple of years, I did purely group coaching where um, you'd get groups of eight to 10 people in. And it wasn't so instructional. I'm not telling them what to do uh, technically but it was more a case of I would set up games for them and we would play those games. So it's just, it was really relaxed. It was great fun. And what you found is you could simulate more pressure in practice than these players were experienced doing play. So I'd often team them up maybe four and four and I'd say, right, we're all going to stand in. Everybody's going to stand in and hit a shot. So now they're hitting a shot in front of seven other people, eight if you include me, the instructor. And there's huge consequence to them missing. If they miss, they lose a point for their team or they don't gain their point. And yeah, people would often report, this is so pressured. I'm feeling so much more pressure than when I'm on the golf course. And so it was really good. They could get a lot of reps in often with certain types of games that we played, a lot of reps that had more pressure, maybe not the entire context of, you know, having flags there and things like that. It didn't look like a golf course hitting onto a range, but still hitting a ball towards a target. So if, if anybody out here, if you can find group coaching sessions in your area, then they're really good to go to as a, at least as a supplement to your normal practice. Yeah, I absolutely think that, you know, if you can find those situations, the group coaching is awesome. I think there's probably not enough of that, but it seems like more coaches are embracing that in certain areas. So we went through the different types of practice on in-season, which is, you know, obviously the biggest bulk of it. Is there anything else you wanted to cover there? No, I think we're good. We covered all five different types of training that I do and how we're going to do them throughout the season. Yeah, I think that's that's good. I could do some examples for people who practice different amounts, but what else do you have, John? I mean, for me, like, Again, in the context of a golfer like myself or probably plenty of people listening to this is as you get into the later season and winter is is coming for all you Game of Thrones fans, I like to think of the late season as, you know, as it starts getting colder, maybe October, November. I actually think that is a really good time to get fit for clubs. That's when I've done a lot of my bigger equipment changes because it will allow you, again, if you have access to a good fitter and you can listen to our episodes of Woody Lashin. You could try a club and then hopefully bring it out on the course and see how it's working. So that, you know, late season I view is maybe another time to maybe start with some experimentation. Maybe you can start making those more of those swing changes, changing equipment and still get a little bit of the context of the golf course there. And for me, this is really not a game improvement thing is like, I also think that's the time of the year to just kind of like savor golf. And like, I mean, I always try and appreciate golf but you maybe take it for granted more in the spring and summer and just like i just try and like maybe not 
put so much pressure on myself that time of year because I feel like I sometimes I fall into the trap of maybe pushing too hard during the summer to play well, whether that's in regular rounds or tournament rounds. And in the in the fall, like I usually go through this process where I'm like maybe a little more relaxed and I have more fun. And maybe that's a goal for me throughout the full season. I'm still working on that. But yeah, I view the late season as a little different is that you can maybe start to mix in some experimentations and changes with equipments and maybe technical swing stuff. And also just like looking back on the season, if it's going to end to you and just enjoying what time you've got left, that gratitude element we talked in the habits episode. That's a big one for me late season. Yeah, I used to use it to finish on a high. So, you know, you're well practiced by that point, but there's no tournaments. All the big ones are over by that point. So I used to sometimes play off the red tees or, you know, forward tees. Instead of playing 7,000 yards, I might play 5,006 and just enjoy the fact that you're tearing it apart, <laughs> you know, shooting under par or shooting much better than your handicap. Maybe even because the greens are not great by that point, you start giving slightly bigger gimmies. Again, this is not something you want to do as you're preparing to play your best, because the last thing you want to do is give yourself a bunch of gimmies and then be in a tournament with a, a three-foot putt. But as it's the end of the season, who cares? Just get a little bit of confidence to go out with a bang, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're just trying to like, yeah, exactly. Like the golf course probably is not going to be in as great of shape. Like there won't be any meaningful competitions left. Just have a good time. Go out with your friends, whatever, you know, makes you happy in golf. Like you can just kind of wing it a little bit more at that part of the season. That's kind of what I think about in like October and November is like, yeah, hopefully that was a really fun year and I'm just going to try to enjoy the time I've got left till that first snow comes and hopefully it doesn't. That's really my big thoughts on the late season. And yeah, you can throw some new equipment in there and see how it works on the course. Maybe get a few lessons and you still have the feedback of the golf course at the end of the year to see how it's going. Yeah, that's kind of my closing thoughts on as the season winds down. So what's our strategy here? Do we want to wind this down or is there some other stuff you want to say? I know we wanted to keep this like a more overview episode versus going so so in depth on each one maybe we did yeah i can just give a couple of examples of how you might structure your week so if you have a lot of practice time if you're practicing four or five sessions a week and these could just be like five minutes in the back garden sometimes for, for some of them but and more structured rain sessions later during the week but you know if you've got five days a week that's a great opportunity to do one of those types of practice each day. So Monday, you might do technical practice where you're working on your swing motion. Tuesday, you might do a little bit of experimental. So hitting right, left, toe and heel. Wednesday, you might do calibration. So you're going for that middle ground again, just more block practice based on the one thing that you feel is the weakest at that time. And Thursday, maybe you've got a tournament coming up. So Thursday, you start to do more performance training. You start to test certain things. So you might hit a fade or a draw towards a target and then see which one is better. Or you might test two different swing thoughts that you, you think might perform well. And then on Friday, the day before the tournament, you start to simulate the game of golf itself. Maybe you play a range game. Maybe you go to group coaching, maybe you get three of you together and you go to the range and you start to play against each other, you know, who can hit the most fairways in a row or who can reach that driver seven iron a wedge down the fairway in the fewest amount of shots or the quickest. Uh, so you're playing a game that's more context-based, more pressure-based and obviously using whatever you found in the performance training. So if you found that fades work better for you, you're going to use that and try and bring that out here. So you've got one of those phases for every single day and you're perfectly prepped for the tournament on Saturday then. 
Yeah, one other thought I have, and certainly I'm going to give our friend Scott Fawcett a little credit for this, is, you know, just if you are playing a tournament, maybe it's a course you haven't seen before. I like to do a little preparation beforehand with strategy and using the satellite images on the course. You can you know, certainly look at Decade Golf for more resources on this. I know, you know Scott's not the only one who's ever done this, but he has a more formulaic approach. Uh, but yeah, I go through, I'll go to Google Earth, look at like, you got 3D images of the golf course. If I haven't seen it before, I'm going to do a little reconnaissance work, think about what clubs I'm going to use off the tee, primarily driver and where I'm aiming, and just trying to take some notes on the course if I see something, like there are certain par fives where the layup, maybe there's water in play, and I'm making notes to myself like, hey, on seven, watch out for that water at 60 yards. So I think if you are preparing for a tournament, and especially at a golf course you've never played before, doing a little reconnaissance work on Google Earth or Google Maps is helpful because then you can kind of like maybe mentally rehearse, especially on the range. You can maybe go through the course a little bit if you want to do a little rehearsal session where you're going through each hole and hitting shots as you would. But yeah, just kind of thinking about where you're going to be playing and preparing your mind and your strategic decisions for that. I think that's super important as well and something I do before every tournament now. Definitely. I use the Grint app for that. So it's a way of keeping track of your scores. Yeah. And this is GPS. Yeah. Grint's really good. 18 birdies as well. 18 birdies is awesome for that. I'll give Scott a plug because I think the technology is super cool that they developed. If you are a decade subscriber, they did a new feature where you pick the golf course and you select, I think it's three different distances. So you could say like, all right, I hit my hybrid, this, my fairway with this and my driver, this. And then you go to each hole and you put the dispersions down. So if you knew your dispersion with your fairway wood was 45 or 50 yards and your driver is 65, you put that in and it automatically gives you a visual of the hole with the three club selections and the dispersion. So you can see, okay, it's a driver hole that's in between the penalty areas and and out of the trouble. Or you might see, no, I got to lay back here. That's a very cool feature they debuted this year that I don't think anyone else has. So I'll give Scott a plug for that because it, it saves a lot of time. I've been playing around with it just to see how it works. It's very cool. I'll have to have a look at that. I've, I've used something else in the past. The name slips me right now, but yeah, I'm sure Scott's stuff, we're happy to promote that stuff is really good. Yeah, there's plenty of like, yeah, the Grint and 18 Birdies, awesome. Like 18 Birdies is a great app. Like there's all these GPS apps too. Those are probably, I think, the two best that like, you know, most recreational golfers use, I would say. And they're free and you could use them for free. They do have premium options, but anyone can do a quick reconnaissance of the golf course on 18 Birdies. I've done that where you just kind of flick through the holes and you're dragging your finger around and see how far it is to that bunker, that bunker. And it makes the process very quick if you want to do it on your phone. John, I'm just going to give a a one hour a week example for people because I know I just went through a five session a week thing for people. And I'm sure lots of people thinking, who has five days a week that they can practice? So if you just have one hour a week, and this is very common for me as well, I might split that session into 20 minute sections. So I'll do three 20 minute sections in that hour. And, you know, in the winter, you're going to have more technical, more experimental and then maybe some calibration in there. So you could do 20 minutes of each. If you're in season, you know, and there's no big tournaments coming up, you're going to spend more time of it on calibration, really. And then pre-tournament, you'd have maybe 30 minutes performance, 30 minutes transference training, so the game-like training. So that's how you'd split up an hour. You just do different things depending on which part of the season you're in. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And then, you know, 
peppering in the different information and data you're collecting and patterns you're looking for and using that as your guide as to maybe what you're focusing on. Is it the ground contact? Is it face angle? The curvature of the ball is causing you issues. So, you know, always paying attention and working on that seems to be the the recipe that works for us and many other golfers. So is that everything? Did we cover everything we wanted to talk about? I think we have. Yeah. At least for this one, we can obviously go into more. Well, not forever. I mean, yeah, (laughs) we can go more into depth into each one of these in separate episodes. Definitely. I'm actually proud of both of us. We're at, I'm looking at my marker here. It's an hour and 16 minutes. We were hoping that, now that's a short one for us now that we're like veering into these two, three hour episodes. So I'm actually impressed that we kept it this short. So that's what I think the two of us were hoping for. So I think we did it. We want to give a quick wrap up here. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, five different types of training, technical, which is movement work, experimental, which is exploring the scale, calibration, which is zoning in on the part of the scale you want, performance, which is testing certain things to see what's working best for you. And then transference training, which is simulating the game itself. So those are the five different types of training. Just do different weightings of those during different parts of the season. Absolutely. And you know, maybe just a quick recap of some of my main thoughts on different parts of the year. Off season, you know, maybe a time for big changes, experimentations, you know, equipment changes, working with an instructor, technical changes as we talked about, doing some crazy like the experimentation, you could do more of that, especially for a beginner to intermediate player. So yeah, off season's the time to work on something big, different, have a big goal get your body in shape, whatever, you know, think outside the box. And those are the times where you can work in a more consequence-free environment. And then as you get to the early season, you know, get yourself reacquainted with the golf course, maybe, you know, play a few rounds where you're not really keeping score. You're just trying to like get the feel of the golf course, your short game back, the different lies, side hill, downhill, the wind, you're just kind of feeling the golf course. And then as you transition to in-season, you know, we're not making these big changes. You got what you got and you're doing the practice that we talked about where maybe you're paying attention to some feedback in your rounds, working on that in your sessions, being engaged, looking at the proper feedback. And then a lot of the stuff that Adam talked about getting ready for a competition, whatever that means to you. Uh, Again, you got what you got. There aren't many big changes you can make before. So you can maybe test yourself, do some prep work on the golf course And then as you get into the late season and things start winding down, if that's the case for you, if you live in a climate like that, just, you know, enjoy yourself, maybe get some new equipment out there. You can make some changes and then mess around on the golf course and then kind of wrap up the year and have fun with it. So that's kind of my quick recap there. All right. We're good. John, where can people find you? You can find me at practical-golf.com. Check out our deal section. We've got a lot of good prices on some of the tools you would use for a lot of these things adam where can they find you adamyounggolf.com this stuff that we've talked about here is all in the book the practice manual which is available on amazon or i also have it in video format in my next level golf program as well which is on adamyounggolf.com and a quick thank you to our sponsor the indoor golf shop you can find all of your indoor golf needs on their website which is shopindoorgolf.com 
They're the experts when it comes to the best indoor golf simulator for your home or business. You can give them a call, talk to Brian or Wade. They can help you purchase the best launch monitor or the entire setup, the mat, the net, the projector. Call them with your questions. You can talk to them about your size, you know, size of your basement, media room, whatever you've got and your budget, and they can help you make the right decision. So huge thanks for their support, and you can find them at Shop Indoor Golf. And a big thank you to all of you listening. We appreciate all of our listeners from around the world tuning in all the time. Get in touch with your feedback, your questions, your criticisms. We love hearing it, and it helps us make customized content for you. And we will see you next time.